Communist cutie pie, an intellectual fistful of rocks, Alexandria occasional cortex is absolutely livid that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called a vote on her Green New Deal. Pounding her shoe on the table until the high heel snapped off and hit her in the forehead, the curvaceous dimwit and sworn enemy of Crash Bandicoot said, quote, with death hanging over the whole world like something really bad hanging over something very big, the Republicans are making a mockery of this terrible crisis by interrupting our virtue signaling in a blatant attempt to force us to take action. Even as we speak, Factories are spewing iPhones and macaroni and cheese boxes into the atmosphere at record rates. And between December and August alone, the average temperature rose almost 40 degrees. If this trend continues by the time December rolls around again, by my calculation, it will be almost 120 degrees every single day, unless some amazing miracle occurs to make the temperature go down again like it did last year. Unquote. In a 57-0 vote, three Democrats joined Republicans in voting against the proposal. 33 Democrats voted present. Nine Democrats weren't sure they were present and wanted to see the polls first. And Bernie Sanders voted to, quote, have Mitch McConnell shipped to the gulags and work to death like we used to do in the old days, unquote. Meanwhile, a furious AOC demanded a recount, saying 57 to nothing was much too close to call. She told reporters, quote, with unemployment rates so low because people are dying from the water in Flint, Michigan, and the stock market rising because everyone is trying to sell off before the end of the world, we all must stop having children to ensure a better future, unquote. Voters in Dr. Neocortex's district said her statement was indicative of her complex intellectual vision or her use of black market hallucinogens, and either way, they would re-elect her because they could use the laughs. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. So when big events happen, a lot of ink gets spilled. Writers are pretending to analyze the situation, but actually they're pushing their point of view, hoping it will shape the minds of the people. In reality, it takes a few years before we can really tell whether a turning point is a turning point or just a bend in the road. This week, a two-year attempt to overturn an election through unjustified federal investigation and media lies came a cropper when a special counsel found there had been no crime to investigate in the first place. To my mind, this was not just an indictment of the media Democrat complex and its hostile coverage of Trump, but an even worse indictment of their lack of coverage of Obama, a lack of coverage that made Obama invisible like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, so that like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, he felt free to become more and more corrupt until he had transformed our federal government into a Chicago-style Democrat machine, just like the one that just wangled Jussie Smollett off the hook. But there's another angle to this as well. The collapse of the collusion canard is a justification of the feeling of the voters in the middle of this country that the so-called elites on the coasts are not deserving of their self-bestowed elite status. Their ceaseless attacks on this country as racist and phobic and small-minded are not just an expression of arrogant contempt for the common man, but also an attempt to shame their critics into silence in order to disguise their own incompetence, corruption, and indifference to the fate of the rest of us. The people receive that message loud and clear. Trump is the answer they sent back. Only time will tell whether the elites will now finally start 
to listen. We're going to talk about this more, but first we got to talk about calming comfort. You know, when you're awake all night, you really want to be comfortable. Calming comfort is a weighted blanket that feels, makes it, it's, it's actually designed to make it feel like you're being hugged. I have put it on my blanket. It does relax you. There's just no question about it. It even helps me sleep on occasion, though I don't sleep much. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, per- Promotes a sense of calmness and re- relaxation, which will either give you a more restful sleep or just make you feel better when, like me, you're staring up at the ceiling through the dark. Calming comfort applies an even amount of pressure over your body to help the production of serotonin and melatonin, simulating deep touch pressure sim- stimulation. The Calming Comfort weighted blanket comes with a 90-day anxiety-free, stress-free, best night's sleep of your life guarantee from Sharper Image. Right now, just for our listeners, you can go to calmingcomfortblanket.com. Use promo code Andrew at checkout to receive 15% off the displayed price. Again, that's calmingcomfortblanket.com, promo code Andrew. And because you can't put a price on a great night's sleep, go online now at calmingcomfortblanket.com and use promo code Andrew for your special discount today. Uh, all right, we have uh, Jenna Ellis will be with us in the studio. I know everybody loves to see her. Also, by the way, if you go to uh, cinderq.com, cinderq.com, that's cinder, C-I-N-D-E-R, and then the letter Q.com. Uh, it's a new magazine, and they have a short story by me up there called Goodfellow, which I think uh, you'll like, and it's free. Uh, so I really do believe this week was a big deal. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember when 9-11 happened. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's uh, worried about it and, you know, analyzing it. But it wasn't until like five years later that we really had a sense of what it had done to our country and what the effects were on our own personal minds. And I feel that this is going to be, this is not anywhere near as big a trauma as 9-11, but it's a big event. For two years, we've been told Russia collusion, Russian collusion, impeachment coming, the noose is tightening, the walls are closing. And now suddenly it disappears. And I think this is going to have an effect on the electorate, on the atmosphere in the country, on the media, on everything, whether they like it or not. I think it has exposed the media. Uh, it has exposed the, their coverage of Trump, certainly. But also, as I said, I think it was yesterday, it also has exposed the, the Obama administration. The fact is that what is so corrupt about the mainstream media is not that they cover Republicans so harshly. It's that they don't cover a Democrat malfeasance really at all. And in the case of Obama, the color of his skin basically mesmerized them uh, with their racist uh, ideas of intersectionality and uh, affirmative action and all these ideas that have polluted their minds with racism. They basically would not report on him as he deserved to be reported. He's the guy, Obama, who appointed James Clapper, who appointed John Brennan, who appointed Comey to head the FBI, all these guys who basically thought they owned the world and that the rest of us are bad guys. So now... The people from the Obama administration, the guys in the Obama administration are on full display talking. Joe Biden is on full display because he's running. He's obviously going to run for president. He hasn't officially announced it yet. And he went out yesterday, I think, or maybe it was the day before yesterday. And he made a speech apologizing for his maleness, apologizing for his whiteness and talking about Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, obviously, for those of you who don't remember Clarence Thomas, uh, Bush's uh, appointment to the Supreme Court, a black man accused by Anita Hill of basically just kind of annoying her. I mean, it wasn't anything very serious. And they had a huge hearing in the Senate uh, where Democrats tried to sink the nomination. It didn't work. Joe Biden was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee that questioned Anita Hill and questioned um, uh, and questioned Clarence Thomas. And here's just a very brief clip of, the, of Joe Biden back in those old days, so you know uh, what he's apologizing for. This is um, 
This is cut 14. It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to plumb the depths of her credibility. So this now has become a horrible thing to have said, right? That he said, yeah, when somebody accuses somebody, you get to ask about their credibility. You get to ask. It's not saying it didn't happen, but you get to ask. It's an accusation. Now he's got to apologize for this. So first he apologizes hilariously for, in my mind, hilariously for what happened. This is cut number 12. I wish I could have done something. I opposed Clarence Thomas' nomination. I voted against him. But I also realized there was a real and perceived problem the committee faced. There were a bunch of white guys. No, I mean it sincerely. A bunch of white guys hearing, hearing this testimony in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So when Anita Hill, when Anita Hill came to testify, she faced a committee that didn't fully understand what the hell it was all about. And to this day, I regret I couldn't come up with a way to get her the kind of hearing she deserved, given the courage she showed by reaching out to us. The hearing she deserved was a hearing where she was respected, where the tone of the questioning was not hostile and insulting, where the fact that she stepped forward was recognized as an act of courage in and of itself. So he wishes he could figure out what he could have done. He was chairman of the committee. He was the chairman of the committee. He could have done set up that thing any way he wanted. He was and at the time, being a fairly honest, straightforward guy. That's all gone. Now he's pandering. Now he's pandering to the leftist base. And just listen to what he said, basically, that she deserved just coming forward was an act in and of itself of courage. Maybe. Maybe it was an act of character assassination. Maybe it was an act of slander. I mean, it could have been all kinds of things, but certainly Clarence Thomas had the right to a defense when he was accused. He compares it to the Kavanaugh hearings, basically saying the same thing happened uh, to Kavanaugh. And it did. He was also, for completely political reasons, accused of sexual malfeasance, much worse than Clarence Thomas uh, was accused of. The stuff that Clarence, Clarence Thomas never got in the way of Anita Hill's career. He was her mentor. He was her helper. Uh, she said he said a couple of annoying things and asked her out once, I believe, if I can remember properly. But what he then goes on to say is appalling in its ignorance, its dishonesty, but it also, just remember, vice president under Obama. This is the Obama administration coming home to roost like Jeremiah Wright's chickens. Listen to what he says about America, not just America, but about the West. Folks, I realize I get a little too passionate about this sometimes, but we all have an obligation to do nothing less than change the culture in this country. It's just the laws. We change the laws. Change the culture. The culture. You all know what the phrase rule of thumb means? Where it's derived from? In English common law, not codification on common law, back in the late 1300s, so many women were dying at the hands of their husbands because they were a chattel, just like the cattle or the sheep, that the court of common law decided they had to do something about the extent of the death. So you know what they said? No man has a right to chastise his woman with a rod thicker than the circumference of his thumb. This is English jurisprudential culture, a white man's culture. 
So this is appalling. First of all, completely untrue. This thing about the rule of thumb uh, was a canard. The feminine, you know, the feminists have sold a million canards that men beat up women on Super Bowl day, uh, that women are not paid equally to men just randomly. Uh, you know, this is one of the many, many fem- that when men, women and men are the same. They sold that one for a long time until science basically overturned it. But this is another canard from the feminists. It was sold in the 70s. There is a record, I believe, of one judge in English history saying that a man shouldn't hit a woman with a stick bigger uh, than his thumb. But British judges, of course, are renowned for their ignorance, stupidity, and prejudice. That doesn't say anything. The fact that one judge says this doesn't say anything about the culture, and it's not where the term comes from. It's obvious the term rule of thumb, which means to estimate something, is a guy holding up his thumb and looking at the thumb and not measuring it, but just kind of putting it, the thumb up there like an artist does to make sure he's got the... the uh, uh, ratios right and the uh, relationships and things right in his picture or in the building that he's making. That's the rule of thumb. So it's complete nonsense. That's the first thing. But sec, I mean, the idea that beating women was ever just a, a swell old time, beating women is endemic in, in primitive cultures, including, I'm sure, Western culture, but also con- today in African culture, it's in, it's epidemic. And in, of course, in Muslim country. So what's he comparing us to? I mean, he's comparing us to the countries that didn't figure out that it's not such a great idea to punch your girlfriend. You know, I mean, th- that's ridiculous. And he's talking about um, British American jurisprudence as white man's culture. British, you know, as opposed to, as opposed to what? Sharia? As opposed to what? British American jurisprudence is one of the crown jewels of humanity's rise out of the swamp. And this guy's throwing it over. And remember, Obama's vice president. And if you don't think that's the attitude of the Obama administration that was sold to us for eight years and that Trump is the answer to, here's Eric Holder. Eric Holder, remember uh, Barack Obama's wingman in the Justice Department. Here's the attorney general who said, I was, I am Obama's wingman. I'm there to protect my boy. That's the chief law officer in the United States of America. Now they are, the Democrats are picking on A.G. Barr saying, oh, why isn't he releasing the, the report, even though he has said, the Mueller report, even though he said, I want to release it, I'm going to release it as quickly as I can and as much of it as I can. And they're acting. And, and Trump has said, yeah, release the whole thing. And then Nancy Pelosi will come out and say, what is this conspiracy not to release it? Complete fantasy, just a new Russian collusion fantasy. Here's Eric Holder, though, talking about Trump's response to this, that's what it was. Trump's campaign was a response to Obama culture. And he said, let's make America great again. And here is Eric Holder, the first attorney general ever to be held in contempt of Congress. Uh, Eric Holder's response to that, cut six. When I hear these things about let's make America great again, I think to myself, well, exactly when did you think America um, was great? It certainly wasn't when um, people were enslaved. It certainly wasn't when um, uh, women didn't have the right to vote. It certainly wasn't when the LGBT community uh, was denied the rights to which it was entitled. Does that phrase echo as as discrimination in your ears? Uh, It takes us back to, I I think, um, an American past that never, in fact, really existed, this notion of greatness. What crap. What crap? I mean, who is he comparing it to? Where were gay people running around, you know, just absolutely untouched uh, outside of this country where we reconsider these things as time goes on, where we improve and get go forward better? You know, it's it's like saying the pharaohs, and this is absolutely true, the pharaohs had everything they needed to invent the electric light bulb. They did invent the car. They had everything, everything. Why didn't they? Why did it take thousands of years? What, were they stupid? Were they corrupt? Were they hiding the secret of the electric light bulb? 
It takes a long time to learn things. And the question is not who didn't know them when nobody knew them. The question is who finally figured them out. But he wants you to be ashamed. He wants you to be ashamed. Remember the Obama apology tour? This, when he went around to the homes of tyrants and basically said, oh, America, we're arrogant. We really treated you arrogantly. To tyrants, to people who stepped on the necks of their people as opposed to the free lives. We still live here. And Obama went around and apologized. And this guy still thinks that that is the thing to do. And he may run for president as well. And here's what he thinks should happen to you, my friends. You must be reeducated as they did in the Soviet Union. There's cut seven. I do worry that um, judges, like everybody, all other Americans, carry with them implicit biases, um, and especially in the criminal justice sphere. How do you fix it? Well, you certainly have to have training. Uh, you have to make people aware of the fact that they do carry um, the, these biases um, and make them understand that, you know, if you see um, an African-American defendant in front of you, that's going to probably trigger things in your mind um, unconsciously, subconsciously, and you're perhaps going to treat that person differently than somebody who shows up in a tie and has you know, a great lawyer that they have paid for, you're going to maybe cut that person a break that you wouldn't otherwise give um, to a Hispanic or African-American defendant. People have to be just aware of that, and then that training has to, um, has to continue. But then these are the kinds of things that all of us as Americans um, have to deal with, because we all carry this racial baggage. I think the younger generation, to a lesser degree mm-hmm. uh, than people in my generation, but it is still there. You know, he doesn't mean that. The thing that always gets me about the left, the very word woke, means you're woke and I'm not. You know, when he's saying this, Americans need to be re-educated. They need to be re-educated to agree with him, to think like him. They they can't be just. An American jury isn't just. I mean, this it's, it's really the idea is if you are ashamed, you will not talk back. That's the point. If you are ashamed of who you are, if you're ashamed of America, you will not talk back when these guys gut it for their pet programs, when these guys gut the American idea that you're supposed to be in charge, not the government, when they when these guys oppress you and come and tell you what you can and can't say, like in England where the police show up in your house if you use what they think is the wrong pronoun to describe a transgender person. If you protest against that, that's on you. You should be ashamed. If you're ashamed, if you're afraid, if you know you're going to be punished for saying what, what you believe, then you will keep quiet while the elites seize power. And if you don't think, if you don't think that these guys are so arrogant that even the being exposed, they were even being exposed is what they did, investigating a president, the opposition campaign of a president on the basis of a of oppo research paid for and gotten through the russians paid for by hillary clinton gotten through the russians but they think oh no it's absolutely fine james comey is on tv doing an interview and he has learned absolutely nothing this cloud of sanctimony this guy walks through i mean it's kind of like a drug he's on it's like you you know you talk to people who are on antidepressants and their eyes are a little glassy he's on the drug of just pure self-righteousness so he comes out and says oh no no we had to do this think of what it would be i love this thing i love this argument think of what it would be if it had been obama this is cut number three close your eyes again change the names let me make one up for you the Iranians, this is totally made up, the Iranians interfere in the election to help elect Barack Obama because they think they'll get a better nuclear deal from him. And during that election, an Obama aide meets with the Iranians and talks about the dirt they have that will help Obama get elected. And the FBI finds out about that. We should not investigate that. And then President Obama's national security advisor lies to the FBI about his contacts with the Iranians. 
And then the president, Obama, asked me to drop an investigation of that and then fires me and says, I was thinking of the Iranian thing. And then he invites the mullahs to the Oval Office and tells them that FBI director was a real nut job. I lifted a lot of pressure by firing him. Who on earth doesn't think the FBI should investigate that? So the hypocrisy is revealed just by changing the names. The FBI did what it absolutely had to do. The American people should be glad it's there and proud of it. And the rest is just lying and noise. Let's think about that for a minute. Fair enough. Let's think about it because I've made the same point. Let's change the names. So Barack Obama is running against John McCain and George W. Bush is president. And Barack Obama is talking to Iranians because he thinks Iranians should be brought into the community of of nations and he wants to make a deal when he becomes president. And he says some things about Iran. And George W. Bush gets oppo research from the John McCain team saying that uh, Barack Obama was in Iran and, uh, you know, prostitutes were, uh, you know, urinating on him in a bed. Uh, this all this complete nonsense, absolute nonsense. And George W. Bush, because you know this came from Obama. We know it came from the West Wing. It couldn't have happened otherwise. The FBI starts investigating Barack Obama on behalf of John McCain's oppo research. I would have hit the roof. I would have been appalled. I would have called for people to be fired in the FBI because whether I like Obama or not, this is an act of absolute malfeasance. And Trump knows it. And see, this is the thing. They don't know it. They don't know they've just been hit by a brick. They do not know it. And look, I could be wrong. I don't know the future. But I think as this information spreads out and it goes through people's minds, people are going to start to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What just happened again? What what exactly did the FBI do? It's not going away. I mean, the story is not going away. They are defending themselves and everything. I mean, Comey said something that I thought was so purblind, so uh, ignorant of what actually is going on. Uh, This is cut number one where he says, oh, the FBI comes out of this smelling like a rose. I don't think we've seen in the history of our country a president try to burn down an institution of justice because he saw it as a threat. But in the long run, the institutions will be fine because the American people know them and also know this president, know what he's like. And so it's a harder question, but I'd say on balance, yes, because I think the people of the United States are going to see what I know about the FBI. I think the people of the United States are going to see what he knows about the FBI, too. And remember, the FBI, as it stood under Obama, is gone. It's gutted. Those people are gone. The only one left is Rosenstein, and he's leaving. These, I mean, again, if this were a headline on the, in the New York Times, a former newspaper, just saying these people had been fired, as it was during the Nixon administration when people were being fired then, if it were a banner headline each time a Strzok or a Page or a Comey or a, a, a McCabe, if each time one of those guys were fired, you would be saying, wow, this is the biggest scandal to hit the FBI ever. But because this has happened in the background while everybody was saying, oh, Russian collusion, Paul Manafort is bad, Michael going, you know, because they were saying that, you don't have the sense that what has happened has been a tremendous scandal in the FBI. And that's why I keep saying over time, you're going to see over time what the effect of this is as it seeps into people's heads, what really happened here. And these pompous, sanctimonious elites, these self-described elites have failed us. They failed us when they cheated their kids into college. They failed us when the Jussie Smollett case vanished without a trace. They fail us every time they show their entitlement and their corruption while we are the deplorables. We are the bad guys. Donald Trump, the most evil thing ever. You've heard me pick on Donald Trump. You've heard me slap him around for stuff he does. 
does. But that is not the point. The point is he is a message sent by the American people because they're sick of these guys. They're sick of these guys who say, oh, it's a global world now. So if you're out of work, but believe me, someone in Nigeria now has a job making my iPhone for a penny an hour. And so the fact that you're out of work and you're hooked on opioids, that's just sad. We'll give you a guaranteed income. Go away while I enjoy my happy life. You know, that's the, the, the tone these guys got. The fact that they are standing with their pants around their ankles and their butts bare to the entire world, that doesn't even occur to them. They don't even know it's happening, but it is. I mean, listen, you know, uh, who was it? It was Rep, uh, Mike Conaway. Uh, called publicly in in the chamber for Adam Schiff to resign. Here's Conaway. Your willingness to continue to promote a demonstrably false narrative is alarming. The findings of the special counsel conclusively refute your past and present assertions and have exposed you as having abused your position to knowingly promote false information, having damaged the integrity of this committee and undermined the faith in the United States government and its institutions. Your actions, both past and present, are incompatible with your duty as chairman of this committee, which alone in the House of Representatives has the obligation and authority to provide effective oversight of the U.S. intelligence community. As such, we have no faith in your ability to discharge your duties in a manner consistent with your constitutional responsibility and urge your immediate resignation as chairman of the committee. Mr. Chairman, this letter is signed by all nine members of the uh, Republican side of the House, of the, of the committee, and I ask unanimous consent to be entered into the record of today's hearing. That's the House Intelligence Committee. All the members, all the Republican members calling for Schiff to resign, as he should resign. He has been, as I keep saying, a McCarthyite. The left is always uh, trashing right-wingers as McCarthyites, but Schiff is the real deal. He really did say, oh, I have proof, but I can't show it to you, but it's coming, but here it is, but there it is. Nothing. He's got nothing. But the thing is, Schiff, you know, he can't be moved because he's living in this cloud of sanctimony and entitlement. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether everything he says has been proved to be a lie. It doesn't matter. He's sticking. That's his story. And he's sticking to it. Here's Schiff. As you have chosen, uh, instead of addressing the hearing to simply attack me, uh, consistent with the president's attacks, uh, I do want to respond in this way. My colleagues may think it's okay that the Russians offered dirt on the Democratic candidate for president as part of what was described as the Russian government's effort to help the Trump campaign. You might think that's okay, but I don't think it's okay. I think it's immoral. I think it's unethical. I think it's unpatriotic. And yes, I think it's corrupt and evidence of collusion. Now, I have always said that the question of whether this amounts to proof of conspiracy was another matter. Whether the special counsel could prove beyond a reasonable doubt the proof of that crime would be up to the special counsel, and I would accept his decision, and I do. He's a good and honorable man, and he is a good prosecutor. But I do not think that conduct, criminal or not, is okay. And the day we do think that's okay is the day we will look back and say that is the day America lost its way. So it's, it is okay for Hillary Clinton to pay a guy to go to Russia to get disinformation and then use that disinformation, give that disinformation to the FBI, who then use it to get a warrant to tap phones of Americans' conversations. That's okay. But the fact that people came to the Trump campaign and offered them stuff and they said, yeah, what do you got? What do you got? And it amounted to nothing. That 
we have the entire government has to stop in order to investigate that. I mean, that that's an amazing blindness. It's an amazing moral blindness. And Trump, look, Trump sees it now. And people are saying, you know, who is a Carl Rove in today's Wall Street Journal said, oh, he's got to leave this Mueller investigation alone. And I think, are you kidding me? I mean, what was Carl Rove's major mistake by his own admission? His major mistake was not fighting back against the press. His major mistake was not understanding how viciously the press was willing to lie to the destroy George W. Bush and willing to uh, mis- misread the events that had happened and rewrite events that had happened. And George W. Bush acted high and mighty like I'm just too dignified. The presidency is too dignified for me to respond to my critics. And Rove admitted that was a mistake. And now he's telling Trump to do the same thing. I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think that Trump is, that's in Trump's repertoire to be attacked like this for two years and not say anything. Uh, here, he is uh, responding essentially, I mean, he's not purposely responding, but he's responding essentially to James Comey. Uh, this is cut nine. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. Uh, it was such a ridiculous thing that happened. On the other hand, you know, you look at how did this start? How did it start? You had dirty cops. You had people that are bad FBI folks. I know so many. They're incredible people. But at the top, uh, they were not clean, uh, to put it mildly. And what they did to our country was a terrible, terrible thing. And even though these people, these Comeys, these shifts, they don't understand that a reckoning is coming and I can't tell the future. I don't know the future, but I think a reckoning is coming. I think this is a turning point. I really do. I think this is the moment when people start to say, oh, wait, we were right. You know, because sometimes you think you're right and then the proof comes in and you think, oh, it is like I said it is. These people do dislike America. They are trying to browbeat us into silence. They are trying to shame our incredibly great country. I mean, it's a great, great country. As I've often said, there's not one person walking around with political freedom who does not, did not to some degree buy that through American blood and and treasure. that, That we're supposed to be ashamed of our country so that we will stand by and let them gut it and let them take the freedoms away that are guaranteed in the Constitution, that we're supposed to shuffle and kind of look down at our feet and say, oh, you know what, were we white? Were we caught being white? And by the way, it's not white male culture they hate. It's those ideas whenever they're spoken, especially when they're spoken by somebody who's not white and who's not male. It's even worse. Trump says a reckoning is coming. Here is uh, that other clip, the other Trump clip. I have plans to declassify and release. I have plans to absolutely release. But I have some very talented people working for me, lawyers. And they really didn't want me to do it early on. Devin Nunes, by the way, and Meadows, and and you look at Jim Jordan, and so many of the people that, that were, they worked so hard. And a lot of people wanted me to do it a long time ago. I'm glad I didn't do it. We got a great result without having to do it, but we will. One of the reasons that my lawyers didn't want me to do it is they said, if I do it, they'll call it a form of obstruction. So they'll say, oh, you released these documents. So we would make all of this information transparent. You know, in politics, you always hear transparency. Would make it transparent, and then they'd call it obstruction, knowing the people we're dealing with. So, frankly, I thought it would be better if we held it to the end. No, but at the right time, we will be absolutely releasing. <laughs> so Trump says a reckoning is coming. I think a reckoning is coming. I think this week has been a turning point in the 
political culture of this country. I think it has shamed. It has shamed the press. It has shamed the Democrats. But more importantly, it has cast a light on the shame of the eight years of the Obama administration and the people who are now spreading out, hoping to win back the presidency with their doctrine of shame, their doctrine of anti-Americanism, and their doctrine of apology. I don't think so. I don't know the future, but I don't think it's going to work that way. Hey, coming up tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, tune in to our next episode of Daily Wire Backstage. The God King himself, Jeremy Boring, will be lowered from the ceiling as if he could fly. I'll be there, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, and this week's special guest, Matt Walsh. I actually had a long conversation with Matt Walsh, more words than I've ever heard him speak in a row when he's off the air, and it was great. He was wonderful to talk to, and I look forward to talking to him tonight about politics culture, and of course, the answers that will fix your life for the better. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions. And if you subscribe during tonight's live stream, you'll be automatically entered to win a visit to Daily Wire to sit in on a future episode of Backstage. That's second prize. First prize is you don't have to come. Meet all of us. Watch the show. It's a great experience. It really is. And so subscribe to Daily Wire tonight during the live stream and be automatically entered to win the sweepstakes. If that ain't tickety-boo, I don't know what it is. All right. We have Jenna Ellis right here in our studio. We are so honored. I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I should have cleaned. I should have cleaned. <laughs> Jenna Ellis is a constitutional law attorney. She is a contributor to the Daily Wire. And now, newly, you are a Trump 2020 advisory board member. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Very exciting. What does that mean? What does that entail? Yes. So I get to go on uh, Fox News here, a yeah. lot of different places, and uh, basically am a spokesperson for Trump 2020. And no so, kidding. Yeah. That's congratulations. Thank you. That's great. Can I ask you a serious question Absolutely. about this? All right. I, this is putting you on the spot a little bit. But I, I really, Shocker I, that you would do that to me. Yes. <laughs> but, but anyway, by the way, it's great to see you. It really is. It's, it's, great it's, to it's, see it's you. nice to have you actually here. Yes. It's, well, yes. um, you know, you, you've always been a Trump supporter, yes. so you're not changing your tune in any way, shape or form. But before, if I had asked you about something, you might have said, well, yeah, Trump didn't quite get that right or something. Like, now you're kind of constrained in this. You have to speak. You're speaking for the Trump campaign. Is that going to will you feel that as at all as being hobbled or are you enough of a Trump supporter where you feel like this is where I stand? Well, honestly, I think that he has enough of a track record that I've never had to come out and say I disagree with some policy or something so strongly. Um, the only thing that I've um, over the past, you know, even since he won the primaries that I've actually spoken against is uh, the USMCA. And we had that conversation right. here, but that was really the fault of the trade representative, not yep. so much, uh, you know, Trump and the administration. And so, um, so I don't really think that that'll be a conflict. And so I'm very proud to support his policies. But of course, from a constitutional perspective in my personal capacity, you know, I always give my opinions. And so, you know, they don't tell me uh, what to say. They, okay. uh, they trust that I support him. And so um, I always develop my own talking points and what I say is what I believe. That's great. That's yeah. it's good. It's good to be able to feel that way. So, so here's the thing that's happening this week that I really wanted to talk to you about. You're a constitutional attorney. So the Trump campaign, the Trump uh, administration is now saying that Obamacare is is not constitutional. They're supporting a judge who said this. First of all, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. And so, from just a purely constitutional perspective, right. 
Healthcare is not a subject matter that is given to federal Congress right. to okay. write the law on. So, so regardless of the policy considerations, we can debate all day what should be healthcare provision and policy in America. But that is not given to Congress. That's given to the states to decide, and really the individual as well. Because when we look at uh, the separation of powers, everyone always thinks of it horizontally as being between the legislative, executive, and judiciary. Right. But we forget that there's the vertical as well, which is between the federal government, the state government, and the individual. Because what's okay. not reserved to the federal government or to the states, we know through the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, is reserved to or the people. Right. And so we, the people, have some vested powers as well. And so, uh, so healthcare as a subject matter, we have to make sure to confine that within the proper uh, portion of government or the people. Uh, to be able to decide those things, and that's not given to the federal government. So just from a purely constitutional right. perspective, um, I would agree. But the whole um, the whole idea of Obamacare was fundamentally flawed anyway if we want to get into the merits of that. So I certainly agree with the administration on that front. Well, I mean, they've al they already found it constitutional, and now basically the argument is, well, we got rid of the mandate so that so what? I mean, what is the argument that now that the mandate's gone, it's less constitutional than it was before? Well, that was really how uh, Chief Justice Roberts justified uh, his his opinion back in the Obamacare decision was right. to say that because it was the individual mandate, then that can be a tax, which then that goes into the federal government's side. So he justified okay. it as being able to be a regulatory power I based see. on the individual mandate. So right. if you get rid of that, then you get rid of his justification for it, which is why everyone's saying now um, that was really the Achilles heel of Obamacare. I see. Okay. So now, uh, politically, all the wise sachems in the media are saying, oh, what a mistake Donald Trump has made. He's just gotten cleared by Mueller. He's riding high. Why would he go and attack poor people's health care? Because people kind of like Obamacare now. They've kind of gotten used to it. I mean, what people mm -hmm. like is what's going on. They, you know, once it's in place, people always like this free mm -hmm. stuff that seems free or is easier <laughs> to use or whatever. Is he making a political mistake here? Not at all. And okay. one of the things that why I really support Donald Trump, and I think he's been an amazing president, is because he gets things done. Right. And so he's not going to just ride the Mueller wave and say, you know, we're going to then rest on our laurels. He has gotten more done in the first two years for conservative policy than you know most presidents would do in eight years. Yep. And yeah. so I think that this is just being consistent with what he's always done for the past you know two plus years, which is to just continue with his agenda, get that going, and it doesn't matter what's in the news cycle. Certainly he'll rant about that on Twitter. I happen to love his Twitter feed. I think it's an amazing <laughs> distraction for the media. I think yeah. it's hilarious. But I think he's just continuing on with what he would have done regardless if the report dropped this weekend or not. And so when he said when he said that the Republicans are going to be the party of healthcare, you have any idea what he's talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, so hopefully the Republicans will be the party that says we are going to give this decision back to the people. Because right. what uh, what people don't realize when they're looking at Obamacare and all this free stuff is that somebody at the end of the day is going to pay for it. Yeah. Government doesn't have its own resources. They have to take from the people. So either we're going to collectively pay a tax and I'm going to end up, if I don't need as much health care as the next guy, then I'm going to end up paying more because we're all, and that's what socialism does, right? right. And so when you have a single payer health care, that's ultimately the result. And yeah. I also think that the Democrats are pushing for single-payer health care because they want government-funded abortion. That's really the bottom line of what they're driving. <laughs> really? Wow. Absolutely. Wow. And there was a great piece by Guy Benson in Town Hall that was going through uh, the Democrats' proposal for single-payer. And that was, I think, number three on his list that he highlighted ah. was about how it would be state-funded abortions. And so why Republicans, I think, will be the party of health care is because we're going to hopefully bring that back to the individual to decide 
decide what type of policy do you want. I mean, it, right. it, it's like car insurance. If you want to take the risk and you don't want to have any, there are certain consequences if you happen to need it when you're driving right. um, or if you get pulled over. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that uh, you can make that individual decision for yourself. You can decide what type of coverage, how much you need based on all the variety of factors. We as individuals should have the liberty and freedom to make the best interest decisions for ourselves and for our families. And every, the prices of free things go down. I mean, if TV, new TV comes out, it's 10 grand. You know, two years later, it's $600 because of competition. If the government guaranteed you that TV, it would never, the price would never come down. It's, it's always the government that says we can fix what, the mess we made and <laughs> right. the prices constantly go up. It's, ab it's absolutely true. Um, so my, my usual stalking horse, regulatory reform, it yes. just, I, I have to, you're here, you're a constitutional <laughs> lawyer, it's coming up in the Supreme Court. Yes. Yes, when, when we were texting this, this morning and you were like, you like, let's talk about this. I was so excited. I was like, this is not surprising. It's true. But uh, yeah. yeah, this is a great opportunity for Justice Gorsuch, who I think everyone is so excited yes. that he hates the administrative state. Yep. Uh, this is a great opportunity for the court because this particular case is looking at the administrative state in this uh, particular case, um, the, the Veterans um, Department. Uh, that they are interpreting the definition of basically what is relevant to a case. So imagine if you and I are opposing parties in a lawsuit and I get to determine for the court and for the judge what is relevant evidence that you get to bring in. Okay. How is that fair to you? Right. So that's basically what the vet decided. Okay. And so this sets up a perfect scenario where the Supreme Court can say, that is fundamentally unfair. That should not be one of the parties. It's crazy. That yeah. should be the justice system. That should be the judge determining relevance. Right. And then that can open up this whole idea of why is the um, executive branch, why is the administrative state not only setting their own policy and regulation, but then they are determining their own definitions? That's preposterous. Okay. Yeah. I got I got to stop, but uh, who's going to win the uh, Democratic uh, nominee, nomination? You know, I really hope that there is somebody else that comes out that I don't just laugh at or call an idiot on Fox News because because they're all going so progressive they're left. So far left. They yeah. are stumbling over each other. Even Joe Biden, who everybody's like, oh, he'll appeal to the moderates. He is trying to disclaim his age, his race, and his gender. I know. It's amazing. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. He's appealing to the far progressive left, and I think that that is just going to be laughable. Well, he should just identify as a young black woman and just say, you know, <laughs> you can't. You can't tell me I'm an old white man. And that might resonate with like AOC's fans, you know? So yeah, maybe that's Biden, you heard it here first from Drew. That's how, yeah. <laughs> that's how you'll be a challenger. I gave him but, I gave him the key to the White House. But you, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I think Kamala Harris right now is the one I'm, I worry about. She's smart and uh, she's got all the, you know, identity credentials and all that. The so. identity politics. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if anything, she would be uh, a candidate and a front runner for the VP position. Mm. I don't know that she'll get the ticket on her own, which I think is interesting that so many of yeah. the male candidates are just saying, we're going to pick a woman. Of course. Yeah. That to me is so, one, it's monolithic, but it's also saying what a woman isn't actually the best qualified. You it's just want- It's incredibly patronizing. Oh, I mean, they, absolutely. They, well, the whole, the whole intersectional system is just bigotry with a smiley face on it. Yeah, well, when, when you're running on identity politics, then you have to just raise up some other quality other than genuine right, qualifications. Right. Great to see you. I'm so you happy too, you came Drew. in. Thank you very much. And we'll, I'm sure Thanks. we'll be talking more as the campaign goes on. Yes, please. Thank and you. And we will be charging you rent for the you know office. And so. Yes, I know. I, I just paid my check right up. <laughs> All right. Let me. The, the, it's the Clavenless weekend. The Clavenless weekend is upon us. I feel so bad for all of you. Most of you won't make it back, but some of you might. So I'll leave you with a little thought. Uh, you know, I was thinking, I, I, I mentioned Gollum at the beginning of the show, the fact that the 
the mainstream media, the fact that they didn't cover Obama's corruption, uh, made him invisible. And when you're invisible, you can do anything you want. And I was thinking about the fact, they don't know this for sure. They've never proved that J.R.R. Tolkien, when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, was thinking about the Ring of Gyges, uh, which is a myth that's told in Plato's Republic. Uh, really, is really a good story, too. It's about this guy, he's in a cave, and there's a, an earthquake, and it opens up, and he finds a bronze horse with a corpse inside. I mean, it's, it could be a movie. And off, on the corpse is a ring, and he takes off the ring, and uh, he puts it on, and he finds when he turns it a certain way, he becomes invisible. And it is the ring from uh, Lord of the Rings. And when he becomes invisible, I think he seduces the queen, and then he and the queen decide to kill the king and the point that is being made to Socrates, the I think it's Glaucon, is making the argument that if you are not held responsible by the public, by the people around you, everybody would become corrupt because everybody in his heart of hearts believes you can get further through corruption than you can through honesty. And we all know that honesty costs you things. Honesty means that you, you don't always grab the thing that's in front of you. You might let somebody else get it because he got there first. You might just stand back because you want somebody to enjoy themselves. When you're corrupt, you just grab everything. And so there's this kind of instinctive idea that you can get further uh, through corruption. Socrates argues back, by the way, that no, 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 corruption enslaves you to your desires and it's really ugly and so people would not do it for that. Science actually dis has, I won't say disproved, but dis science disagrees with Socrates. Science says that no, we are in fact affected by what people can see. All of us become a little bit corrupt when we think we're hidden. One of the reasons people online are so cruel to one another is they can be anonymous. Uh, and I think that what has happened to our government, to our elites, is we now have elites in the press covering elites. We used to, you know, the, to be a reporter used to be kind of a working class position. It was for the guy who was really smart, who could write, who had talent, but didn't have enough money maybe to get to college or maybe to get to a good college. And he went on and he had a chip on his shoulder against the elites. He didn't care if you were a Republican or a Democrat. He just wanted to get you because you had power. That, those were great reporters. Those reporters are gone. These are the same people, essentially, class-wise and culture-wise, covering the people who are the, of the same class and of the same culture. They have done us a tremendous disservice. It is corruption per se to have a media that is 90% Democrat. That's corruption per se. There's no way they can be fair. There's no way they can keep from groupthink. There's no way they can keep can see the corruption on their side the way they see it on our side. It is the ring of Gyges. It does make people corrupt. They have done us tremendous disservice. They have been for a moment made visible by the Mueller report, and I hope we keep looking at them until they reform. Clavenless weekend, sorry, see ya. But those of you who survive, I'll be back on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, The Economist sees that my new book, The Right Side of History, hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list, so they called me alt-right. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.